As I was starting to prepare for this sermon, I slowly realized, and then it was mentioned a bunch of times already this morning, um, what kind of a special Sunday today is, because like we're closing out a decade, which is kind of crazy. We're, we're concluding our year of authentic community, and for you guys who've been part of our church for this long, for this year, um, I know we've been through a lot in this year, and uh, I just want to say, good job, well done, I'm proud of you. Uh, as a leadership care and support minister who oversees our community groups and is part of the community group ministry, I know that this has been, a, for some of you, a tough year, a rough year, even, even at church. And so, yeah, thank you guys. You guys did a good job. And then closing out a decade, 2019, it's, it's crazy. It's, it just feels like a lot has happened in this decade. Um, now, with all this, uh, this hype that we have now, or the fear and anxiety, whatever you know, camp you're in with all these things that we just talked about, uh, I want to take a look at the Gospel of Luke this morning. Um, so if you haven't already turned to Luke chapter 4, please turn there now. Um, but I thought it was really fitting how uh, last week Ruthie talked about Luke chapter 2 and showing us the unexpected ways of how Jesus shows up and surprises us with. Um, and it, it actually really connects with this sermon that, that God kind of gave me today in a way. And, and so before we get into the, the text, let's read the text out loud and then I'll pray for us. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 22. There goes my bottle of water. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for um, experiences like this that we get to read. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your kindness and your graciousness towards us, God. And we, we thank you that we, we get to learn from you. So would you teach us this morning? Even out of passages that we've heard before, Lord, would you bring something new to us? Would you remind us of your truth? And would you speak this morning as we enter into your word? Um, I, I ask that my words are not my words, but your words, and that you would speak forth what you want to speak forth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I guarantee you, no matter where you grew up or where you're from, uh, you have heard world leaders and politicians making all sorts of crazy claims. Um, they, they want to be empowered to be rulers and kings, and they just make claims. And those promises usually um, uh, sound something like this. If you empower me, then I will do this, right? So, for example, they promise to lower taxes, or they promise to give people work to lower the unemployment rate, or they promise to boost the economy or the homeless um, problem that we have. There's just so many other promises that world leaders and politicians make to us. Now, there's usually a wide range, and some of them are, are just crazy, crazy wild promises out there that you're like, whoa, I, I've heard that, and it, it's impossible for you to, to fulfill that. 
But then there's also just some really admirable and good pro um, campaign promises that people make, and, uh, but they just seem too hard to, to be fulfilled. And then, of course, there are promises that are being kept. But, but most of the time, we are left disappointed with what was promised compared to what we actually receive or what we see is happening in, um, in, the, in the world of those leaders. And so now, as we look into the scene here in Nazareth, in the synagogue in Nazareth, what we see happen is actually something fairly similar to what these world leaders and, and politicians make. Jesus is making his campaign promise. He gets up and shares with his home crowd the mission that he has come to fulfill. Technically, though, um, I think anybody could, could have done this. I mean, I could stand here today, I could read a passage to you and make a claim about it, right? Um, and I know that this most definitely would affect probably my life from tomorrow on because I would make a crazy outrageous claim that I couldn't hold. Um, but, but if you look at it, if you look at the core of somebody standing there and making a claim about a passage that this is fulfilled in your hearing, um, it isn't really anything special. Um, we might consider people like this um, like movement leaders or they're trying to start some sort of movement or we, we, we think they're troublemakers or we, we straight up think they're liars or heretics. So how come Jesus can make such a claim? How can he make such a campaign promise, stay true to that, what he says, and start a revolutionary movement? Well, in order to see that, how Jesus does that, we first need to pay attention to what Luke hints on in verse 14. In verse 14, Luke says, he, um, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So Jesus makes his campaign promise in the power of the Spirit. And that's why he's able to make such a claim. But in order to understand what really is happening here, we need to backtrack a little bit. Where does this power from the Spirit come from? What is this entailing? So in order to, to, go, to figure that out, we need to go back to Luke chapter 3. should be at the same page if you have your Bible open. Um, we're going to go back to Luke chapter 3, verse 21 through 23. But what's, what's kind of, just to give you a, a quick understanding here, G, um, Luke is um, kind of diving into Jesus' story at age, Jesus is about 30 years old at this point. And he's telling us the reason um, what was, Je or he's telling us about what was Jesus was doing before he got to the point of being empowered. Um, Luke gives us a little report about Jesus' baptism and the events that surrounded it. So let's, let's read about that in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. A voice came from heaven, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And so what we see here is that Jesus um, has left his home and his family to go to the Jordan River in order to get baptized. And this might have been one of his first outing as, a, as an adult Jesus, kind of going out there. And, and what I imagine him here doing is he's just kind of standing in line, waiting to get baptized with the rest of the people that are in line getting baptized. And, and as he was um, waiting... Luke tells us that God meets him. As he was in the river, Luke tells us that God meets Jesus. And the way that Luke tells us how God meets Jesus is that, the, that he says the heavens opened, 
Or Mark's gospel actually says that the heaven was being torn open. Now, if we visualize this, it's, it's kind of easy for us in San Francisco to visualize that. We visualize a typical San Francisco overcast day, just like today it is. So imagine the day today, and you stand there, and all of a sudden, the, the, um, the clouds are being torn open. They're ripped open. And you might imagine just kind of a glorious scene here that could be in, in like a Hollywood movie. Um, the clouds part, and something really, really special happens. I kind of imagine like the angelic sound, and I'm, I'm not going to do it justice, but this ah sound, you know, is coming in as the heavens are being torn open. It's just set up perfectly. Just like this beautiful, glorious scene. Maybe they just have a better sound than I do, but most likely they do. And, and, as, and though this is all true, though this is all the truth, that this is a beautiful scene, we cannot neglect the Old Testament promises that are being fulfilled in this scene. One of the major prophets of the Old Testament is a prophet by the name Isaiah. Isaiah, um, at one point in the book, uh, writes a prayer. And he writes a prayer while he sees his fellow Israelites with hardened hearts. He sees them like the lost that strayed away from the Lord's way. He sees his holy city, Jerusalem, trampled down by foreign powers. And despite memories of God's glorious deliverance of Israel in the past, it seems as though God no longer rules. God seems to have withdrawn and sealed up the heavens, hiding his face from his people. And so here's part of his prayer. He prays, look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your might your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. So we kind of see a tormented Isaiah here telling God to take a look at his people to see how things are going. He said, come on, just, just look at us again. It, it's kind of miserable here. We're stuck in sin. We're, we're without a king. We're, 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 just, we're stuck in this cycle of sin and spiraling back down and looking for a savior. He says, we need the Messiah. We need the king that you've promised us. We need your reign and your rule. And then he adds this. He says, oh, that you would rent the heavens and come down. That you would rent the heavens and come down. It sounds familiar. This, this, um, this, um, this verse sounds familiar because it's the exact same language that Luke actually uses when he describes the baptism scene. Luke here, what he does is he's tapping into the words of Isaiah. He's expressing and honing into this deep, deep desire of Israel to be freed. For God to come and rule again. And Luke claims, by making this claim here, by stating this out, he claims that, that God answers the prayer in Jesus Christ. Luke says, look, God is answering Isaiah's prayer. And he does this in this glorious and beautiful, wondrous scene. So what we see here at Jesus' baptism is that the heavens opened and the Spirit of God comes down on Jesus. So Jesus now is empowered by the Spirit because he has received him. God anoints his son, Jesus, as king and sends the Holy Spirit in bodily form like a dove upon him. So Jesus ended up with the Spirit upon himself because God himself anointed him with the Spirit. So, so with that in mind, 
the descending of the Spirit is an important and significant part of Jesus' story and of his story in Israel. It, it is a big deal. It is a big deal because we need to understand what the Spirit, who the Spirit is and what he's, did, he's done. If you want to take a deep dive, and I don't have time for a deep dive, but if you want to take a deep, deep dive into the Holy Spirit, I highly, highly recommend the Empowering Presence series that we did in 2018. It was so good. But here's some of the theological basis, basics about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is an equal member of the Trinity. He is nothing more and nothing less than God and Jesus. As we know from Genesis 1 verse 2, um, that the Spirit has been there since the creation of the world. He's been there since the beginning. Now, the biblical authors identified the Spirit in Scripture as God's personal and empowering presence. On many different occasions in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God empowers people for specific tasks. For a short while, He comes upon them and He empowers them. Or for a short while, He comes and reveals to the people the plans of God. Through the prophet Isaiah, God spoke that the Spirit of the Lord will rest. He's not just visiting and staying, he's resting. It's not a momentary thing. He will rest on the anointed one, the Messiah. He actually, Isaiah actually quite literally says that the Spirit of might, the Spirit of power will be upon him. And so at Jesus' baptism, God fulfills what he's promised throughout the whole Old Testament by sending the Spirit to empower and to dwell in Jesus, not just visiting him, but staying and being and empowering Jesus. So what we learn here is that Jesus can fill, fulfill his campaign promise because of the empowering presence of God that enables him to fulfill this promise. Now, compared to our world leaders, they, they most likely are not really in the same boat because most of them are acting out of their own wisdom or their, their own power. But it's, a different, it's different with Jesus. Jesus is filled with God's own presence. He's empowered by God's presence, by the Holy Spirit. But it's one thing to be able now to fulfill a promise, but that doesn't mean that you actually are fulfilling the promise you're making, right? Um, because... You know, you can, again, you can just say something, but it's something different to actually fulfill it. And so it, what, what else needs to happen is that Jesus actually not, needs to start fulfilling what he says. It's pretty simple, right? You just, just got to do it. Well, in order to find out how he does that, let's go back into our passage in Luke. Luke chapter 4, um, there we see that news have spread about Jesus everywhere. Jesus has become quite popular. He teaches in the synagogues. Everybody's kind of happy, clappy about Jesus. They're like, yeah, this cool guy is coming. Um, Bible, Bible commentaries actually call this the honeymoon phase of his ministry. And so Jesus, full of the Spirit, been, you know, been really doing a good job everywhere else, is now coming back into his hometown. He's coming back to his home crowd, his people. And he's like, all right, this is where things are going to happen. And so he enters the synagogue, um, as is a custom during his day for, him, for himself, and he's being handed a scripture. He's handed the scripture of the day, and he reads it out loud, and then he's expected to make a few comments on that. Like, how, what, how do you want to teach us? Rabbi, teach us. And, and of course, there's a lot of hype about that because there's this, this new guy coming out there who's new on the scene, and he's like, well, what's, what's Jesus going to say? 
So let's, let's first read again what, what the claim is, the campaign promise is that Jesus makes here. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And we see here clearly that this has already happened in Jesus' baptism scene, right? The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is his promise. And the crazy thing is he doesn't even need to be empowered by anybody else. He's already empowered. He's like, I'm, I'm ready to do this. This is my promise that I'm going to do. Now, for the audience that was sitting there in the auditorium or in the synagogue, this might have just been another day at church. Maybe for like some of you guys today, it's just another day at church. This guy comes up there and just speaks this really, really hopeful passage. Um, and it's kind of like wishful thinking. And, and people would feel emotional about it. Because people have been in this state of desiring something more. They hear Jesus' promise again from Isaiah, but it just seems like they can't get a hold of it. It seems so far away for them. It's like, where is this? This sounds really hopeful, but, but why is this not happening? You see, over the last couple of weeks, as we as a church have been going through the Advent series, we've, we've learned that the, that the Jews have been oppressed through the Roman Empire. And it's left them for almost 400 years in a state of, of deep desire to be freed from foreign powers. So the audience would sit there and they would identify with every word that Jesus says. I am poor and I need the good news. I want to experience freedom again in my worship and in my being. I have lost sight of all that God has done because in my lifetime, he hasn't really done anything. I hear about the stories of the past, the, the reminders over and over again, but, but where is he now? Why has he sealed up the heaven? Why has he turned his face from me? I am, I am oppressed, and I'm in desperate needs of the Lord's favor. So in a way, in a little bit, it feels a little bit mean here for Jesus to stand there and dangle this in front of their faces. Right? This is your desire. But what he does here is he reminds them, this is who you are, and this is what you're desiring, and this is what's been promised to you. And so Israel, in a spiritual sense, Israel feels that they, they, just, they, they really want this to be true this time. They're like, can this, can this be true? But it's, just, it's this like weird longing inside. It's like, can this be true? Is this true? I don't know. I haven't seen anything yet. It just sounds good. It's like really tickling my ears. But, it, but, but something needs to happen. And so then the part comes where Jesus is expected to make comments about it, right? The, the whole crowd is silent. They're like, okay, how is he going to answer this? What's going to happen? And so what he says, he simply sits down and says this. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And, and it's kind of a shocker there because he's there like, wait, what? What? Like, what, what just happened? You, you just read a passage. Are you saying you're like the anointed one? Are you saying the king? Yeah, yeah, that's what he's saying. And what he's saying is like, guys, I'm ready to hit the ground running. I'm ready to get going on this. The campaign promise that he's made is, is proclaimed and now actions need to follow. Because we all know actions speak louder than words. And so Luke absolutely wastes no time in this gospel showing that the scripture is actually being fulfilled in their eyes. It quite really feels like an Oprah show. 
He's like, like the, the rest of Luke's gospel just feels like a healing for you over there, driving out the impure spirit for you over there, um, re reuniting you with God as sinners. You, you can come back into the fold of God. It's just like, you, you get this, you get this, you get this. And it's just Jesus fulfilling the promise that he's made. And so the, the rest of Luke's gospel is just filled with these stories. Filled with stories where he demonstrates that his campaign premise is true and it cultivates, cultivates in, in his death and his resurrection. And what Jesus does is he shows people a new way of life. Through the empowering presence of God's spirit, Jesus heals the sick, the demon-possessed, the blind, the oppressed, the sinners, you name it, and he does it. And he doesn't just heal them. He doesn't just give them back what they desire. He actually restores them back into wholeness. He completes them again. He sets them right. They all receive the freedom, true freedom that only Jesus offers. And so we see that Jesus' campaign promise is that he's bringing the good news. Jesus brings the good news. The good news that the kingdom of God is finally at hand, available today for you and for me. The good news that the rightful King Jesus is on the throne, reigning and ruling over all nations. The good news that God's will is being done. His will is being done in our midst. The good news that there's a new way of life for us. A life that is fulfilling. That, that it's worth following Jesus, who is the humble and servant king. And that we are called in by following him to serve others humbly and in love. The good news that we have forgiveness for our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is good news. It is good news. And this good news was, broke, was brought into a broken world, into their broken world, into our broken world, into the brokenness of ourselves the brokenness of our city, the brokenness of our world. Because it is here, it's in ourselves where we are ruled by self-centeredness, by pride, by ego, or whatever you know about yourself, what you're struggling with in your life, you're ruled by that, you're controlled by that, and you're longing to be freed from that. The broken world around us is dominated by, by death, Injust, death, by injustices, by homelessness, by betrayal, corruption, slavery, hunger, discontent. In a way, it just feels like that our world and our news are just full of reminders of our, of our brokenness and of the brokenness of the world. And it's in that environment that Jesus brings the good news that we can be freed from that. So we need to hear and experience, and our world needs to hear and experience the good news of Jesus Christ. So Luke continues throughout his whole gospel to show that Jesus' whole life is fulfilling his promise and that he proclaims the good news to the poor, that the blind recover their sight, that the oppressed are set free, and that the year of the Lord's favor is proclaimed. He proves to the readers in his gospel that Jesus can, one, that he can be trusted because he's capable of fulfilling what he's promised because he's empowered by the Spirit. And two, he's capable of fulfilling his promise and be trusted because he actually fulfills them, right? 
We can trust him because he's empowered, and we can trust him because he fulfills his promises. So at the end, once you read through the whole life of Jesus, at the end of, of the gospel of Luke, um, Luke concludes his gospel by saying this, and these are Jesus' words. He said this, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise and from the dead on, uh, rise from the, from the dead on the third day and repentance for, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. It's a gospel story right here. It will begin in Jerusalem. Now you are my witnesses of these things. You have seen these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So what Luke says here is that, that you as witnesses, or what Jesus says here is you as my witnesses, and Luke writes this down and says, now you have actually witnessed how Jesus um, fulfills his campaign promises. You are witnesses now. We are all witnesses. And what do witnesses do? They testify. A witness testifies. And a witness testifies about what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they experienced. So we, all of us here in this room, have become witnesses of Jesus' campaign promise. We've become witnesses of him fulfilling his campaign promise. And we've, we are witnesses that God is fulfilling his promises in Jesus Christ. And so with that, we are in it with him. We're not left out. We're not just receiving. We're in it with him. But in order to do that well, Jesus promised us to bring the same spirit that was in him in us. So that we are of the same mindset that we're spreading the same good news to everyone. And so he says, wait and receive the power from on high. He says, receive the power from on high so that you can be my witnesses and testify of the news of God. Because it's the same spirit that empowered Christ to fulfill his, his uh, campaign promises, that same spirit is at work today here in this world. You know, for me, even as a minister, I, it, it's really hard to know what could be possible on one hand and struggle with my own shortcomings. Sometimes it just really feels like I suck in this. <laughs> it's true. It just feels like, what, you promised me this, but why am I hindered by all this stuff about myself? And it, it really feels like what Jesus is saying, that, that the real good life, the flourishing comes by walking this, this narrow way. It takes practice. It takes discipline. It takes getting up and trying it again. It takes daily recommitting. It takes daily small steps. And it's always a new invitation. His mercy and his grace is new every morning. Um, my buddy Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, yeah, you knew you could get one of those. So this is what he said. To be called to a life of extraordinary quality, to live up to it, and yet to be unconscious of it is indeed a narrow way. To confess and testify to the truth as it is in Jesus, and at the same time to love the enemies of that truth, his enemies and ours, is indeed a narrow way. To believe the promise of Jesus that his followers shall possess the earth and at the same time face our enemies unarmed and defenseless 
preferring to incur injustice rather than do wrong ourselves is indeed a narrow way. To see the weakness and wrong in others and at the same time refrain from judging them, to deliver the gospel message without casting pearls before swine is indeed a narrow way. The way is unutterably hard and at every moment we are in danger of straying from it. If we regard this way as one, who follow in, uh, as, as one we follow in obedience to an external command, if we are afraid of ourselves all the time, it is indeed an impossible way. But if we behold Jesus Christ going on before, step by step, we shall not go astray from the good news. So what we, know, what we know, what we learn here is that the empowering presence of God empowers us to live in the, and, and bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we know that this world needs to hear, that we need to hear daily ourselves too. And we know that Jesus has gone and is going before us, step by step. And so here we are today. We're at the end of a decade, entering a new one, and it's typically the time that we make promises to ourselves. I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to eat healthier, I'm going to spend less money, I'm going to spend less money on alcohol. One of my goals for this year was actually to send um, um, birthday cards to all my families because I usually don't do that well. But what will you commit to Jesus in this next decade? How will you commit to him? Maybe there's some of you out there who are still wrestling with Jesus' campaign promises. Is this truth? Can I really trust this? Or maybe you are a believer, but you might just need a fresh clothing of God's empowering presence. Or maybe you're still seeking where the empowering presence of God will actually lead you. I don't know where you're at, but I want to tell you this, that Jesus is faithful. He keeps his promises. And wherever you are, he will speak and guide you in his truth. Amen? Yeah. All right, would you pray with me? And I'll, pr I'll close this out in prayer. Jesus, I remember the words of, I think it was the disciples just saying, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Jesus, thank you for fulfilling your promises. Jesus, thank you that you've proven yourself to be worthy of our trust. Jesus, would you remind us that your promises that you've promised long ago are still true for us today. That your truth has not stopped somewhere, but that we are still part of your kingdom, part of the good news that we still carry them with inside of us and that we get to bring them and demonstrate them out, Jesus. Lord, would you inhabit the praise of your people this morning and would you receive what we have to say would you invite us in, Lord? Would you meet us wherever we are? In Jesus' name, amen. This teaching was recorded live at Reality San Francisco. And as a part of our weekly gatherings, we move from teaching to responding to the Holy Spirit through prayer and a time of ministry. It's hard to capture that on a podcast, but we encourage you to pause and consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to respond to what you've just heard. For more resources and details of how to join us on Sundays, please visit realitysf.com. May the peace of Christ be with you.